Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Philo. Say goodbye to expensive TV bills. Philo is the simple, powerful app for watching TV. Get access to more than 35 of your favorite entertainment channels like Investigation Discovery, HGTV, AMC, VH1, MTV, A&E, Nick, Own BET, Discovery, Lifetime, TLC, History, WETV, and Paramount, as well as live TV on demand and unlimited recording, all for only $16 a month, no contract needed. There's never been a better deal. Start your free trial instantly with just a phone number, no credit card needed. Visit go.philo.com slash the watch. That's go.philo.com slash the watch. Or text the word the watch to 74456. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Microsoft Teams. Microsoft Teams is your hub for teamwork in Office 365. With so much to look after, wouldn't it be great if there was just one place to look? Teams is that single workspace where you can work, share, and connect with the people in your work life. Teams brings together your chats, meetings, files, and apps all in one place. Take teamwork where you work with apps for mobile and desktop. So whether you're sprinting towards a deadline or sharing your next big idea, Teams can help you and your team achieve even more. Microsoft Teams and Office 365. Visit office.com slash teams to learn more. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, take me to the hole. It's Andy Greenwald. Happy Monday. Iconic moments. Just keep coming out of Killing Eve, man. What a great show. Great night of television. Last uh, night. Sunday was amazing. So we had the season finale of Barry. Yeah, we're going to talk uh, about that. What is there? Two more episodes after this one of Killing Eve, I, I think, think so. So we had that last night's Killing Eve. Obviously, there was Westworld. We were going to talk about Westworld today. Guys, I watched Westworld. Do you want to give some top notes on Westworld? So here's the thing. Westworld, Barry, Killing Eve. And then we actually had Paul Shear come on. Paul Shear, you may know from The League, from Human Giant, from a thousand different things. How Did This Get Made podcast. How Did This Get Made pod. And now he has a new podcast with Amy Nicholson called Unspooled. But he just stopped by. And we just, like, let it rock for about 50 minutes. Because in Paul's defense, he was being a good husband and dad and let his wife have Mother's Day, so he did not watch last night's shows. Right. So we had a great talk about any number of topics, including uh, some stuff from Human Giant, um, David Fincher on the set of Zodiac, meeting Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> we talked about Unspooled. We talked about—we um, it, it was. talked about our own uh, navigating television while being married. I mean, it was a great, fun talk, a wonderful— Yes. Wonderful guest. But— we didn't talk a lot about last night's TV for obvious reasons. So, so let's do that now for a few minutes. We may get back into this as the weeks go on. Yes. Uh, but I want to talk first about Barry. Yeah. Which I thought doubled down on your like, I wonder if Barry can come back from this. after. Yes. And this is going to have spoilers for uh, uh, last night's Barry, obviously, and last night's Killing Eve. But um, you were like, I wonder if Barry can come back to this when he murdered his friend Chris. Yep. And then they... They definitely went there. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was very consistent with what the show was, yeah. but is a huge challenge to the quote-unquote idea, the, the quote-unquote likability of someone who was already an assassin once until he started, before he started killing characters we liked. Yeah. But now killed off one of the most beloved sort of likable shows on the, on the show, on, on the show itself. Yeah, Janice. One of them, do you want to take it? He said one of the most. Be- he killed one of the most beloved shows. He said, 
um, but killed one of the most beloved characters on the show in Janice. I, I remain incredibly impressed by the show. I respect the living hell out of it. I really enjoy it when I can peek through my fingers to watch it. I think the show has gotten better week to week, and I think it's gotten more confident with a very, very specific and extreme balancing act that it's attempting to do. I agree with you. Um, Jim Ponowazek, the TV critic of The Times, wrote a great piece that actually encapsulates a lot of the thoughts we've been expressing over the last few weeks, which is we are now entering an era where maybe they shouldn't make more of things, even though the economy still suggests that they should. And specifically, his piece was tied to this. Like, how does where does Barry go from here? Sure. Um, I, I, I'm pretty much there with it. Like, I thought this episode did probably the best job of navigating those two extremes because it sort of quarantined Barry off from the humor and made him a blunt instrument of trauma, basically either outward or inward throughout, where everyone else is sort of bouncing around him, which is a surprising way to play a show in which one of the standout cast members of Saturday Night Live is the star, mm-hmm. but Bill Hader is a very unique performer. And so um, uh, Sarah Goldberg had a really strong scene. So Henry Winkler has the strong scene. So our man Noho Hank is just crushing it with the most extreme comic part. Sure. Um, it was a really ballsy play to end the season the way they did with a time jump with the inevitable unraveling of this murder sweater that he had spent the season stitching. I I, I got to say, maybe that is a way to stand out in the landscape of 2018, which is just to leave people saying, wow, I'm just impressed. I don't even know if they can, as you said, I don't know where they go from here. Right. I don't know how they continue it. I don't know how they top it. But it is one of those rare shows that is one of those dares and they certainly pulled it off for one season. And I think that the audience for the show and anticipation is only going to grow as people continue to watch it on HBO Go or now or whatever. Yeah, you know, it's broken bad. There isn't uh, a trajectory down. Barry's actually there already. Mm-hmm. And that was one thing that I think that the more comedic elements of the earlier part of the season, this sort of fish out of water story, maybe obscured was just how how fucked up this guy is and how violent this guy is and what his world is like. And he says that as, in as many words to a, a few different characters over the course of the season. He tries to get to be honest with people. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that that one moment of vulnerability and honesty with Gene is what sort of leads to his undoing at yes. the end. Um, undoing, once again, honest with yeah. Janice, where he says, I'm trying and I'm doing real, I'm working really hard yeah, this to be ins- good. And that, that is actually like a huge television trope is this mm-hmm. insistence that you're a good person and you're not a bad person. But I thought that that was a really effective scene. It's a pretty violent show, yet Mm -hmm. there were three scenes over the course of the year that they chose to be... It almost was like the camera couldn't deal with viewing this. I thought that was a wise choice. So I actually, you know, I was under the impression that Fuchs was being cut into a million pieces. Like, I, I, I thought that was an unceremonious end for a character who had had so much to do this year. But, um, I thought, you know, that's it for him. They obviously killed Chris, and now... I we have to safely assume that Janice is dead. Yeah. But they wouldn't show any of that. It wasn't like the Stash House raid. It wasn't like the airstrip raid. That wasn't played for this sort of visceral, more like what Hiro Mirai shot at, like where's the sort of like widescreen, everything is in view yeah. way. It was all off camera. And I wonder if that was partially the Alec Berg and Bill Hader being like, I don't, I don't know if we can show Barry doing this. Yeah, I, I think, don't know if you can show Barry gun down a woman cop I and then come back you, and say, hey, is this guy pretty funny? These are the conversations they have to have, and I promise you they've had them. Yeah. And part of the fugue scene was both to play audience expectations and to get a surprise moment, but also to prepare us or maybe unsettle us for what was to come later in the episode. I think those conversations that are happening on a level that 
that we usually don't have access to. And I, you know, again, I wish we could, hopefully we'll get to talk to Bill again, um, having seen the season to talk about how they think this, these things through, but they have to calibrate how far we're willing to go. And while we, have, as you said, he's broken, he's not getting better. He's not going to be redeemed. But if they had shown him murdering a cop that we've come to love, I don't know how you can make second season. And and that seems callous considering he's murdered many people. Right. But that's the business they're in. Yeah. I mean, I suppose there is an out if you have that cop lives. But it, it seems like Barry coming back to take a shower suggests that he took care of the body. Yes. Yeah. Right. So that's pretty dark. It's super dark, man. But it was an impressive first season. Um, another thing that we had talked about a couple weeks ago or a week ago was this idea that— um, Killing Eve had a little bubbling orphan black to it, that there was this whole other world of Killing Eve that could be more of the espionage stuff, more mm-hmm. of the global conspiracy stuff, that there could be other assassins out there that we didn't know who, what, well, you know, we know this show has been renewed for a second season. How does it set up this wider world when the tension and drama of the show is driven by this mutual obsession between Eve mm-hmm. and Villanelle? And then last night, I thought the episode obviously started, we went to Moscow, mm-hmm. we start seeing the different double crossing going on. Mm -hmm. What did you think of a a Killing Eve that nominally like up the stakes in terms of the world that the show takes place in? I just think the show is astonishing. I just think that, and the reason I'm going to say this sounds almost negative, what last night's episode was preposterous in a lot of ways, but God, was it entertaining. Boy, was there intention to every choice they made. Um, we're at a point with the show where Villanelle's insistence on speaking English because the actress is English and doesn't speak Russian is fine for me. Sure. Like, a bad show done badly, a prison murder scene with a break-in and a break-out and they're all there at the same time. I mean, this is this could be done so poorly. But instead, it's just electric because every character has a full 360-degree view of who they are in the world, who they could be, what they feel, what they think. Um Fiona Shaw's character, whose name I'm blanking on as we're sitting here talking Martin's, about Martin's, uh, yeah, I can't uh, remember his name. Look at her all yeah. of a sudden. Look who she gets to be. Look who she, how she gets complicated yeah. in this episode um, with this masterful patience Where from when we first met her in episode one to now when she's wearing a, um, a flirtatious Ushanka hat yeah. in the middle of winter in Moscow. Um, the show is electric. The show is deeply satisfying. We haven't even mentioned the the latest escalation in her marriage problems, sure. which is a beautifully played scene, played surprisingly, because again, we rarely see the husband react that way. And we relate to both of them. I mean, this is emotional storytelling done at the highest level, but also espionage, action, just pulpy, fun storytelling. And I, I am in awe of a writer like Phoebe Waller-Bridge and her, her, her team that they are able to pull this off at such a high level. Before we get to Paul Shear, do you want to just do, I watched Westworld? I just like it. One of my favorite things from watching a lot of culture is when you see an actor who's been around for a while get a, one good look and realize that maybe the ratings weren't good, but casting directors saw it. And so our boy Peter Mullen, still still sailing from that first top of the lake heat. Like, I, th- I hope Ozark fans understand that he's a really great actor when he has a Scottish accent going. Um, I watched Westworld. I thought that it was a fine episode of Westworld. I liked the Peter Mullen stuff. Um, I don't think... I just deeply don't care, and I don't think the show is interested in the things it thinks it's interested in. Like, if this was a show about the human condition and human behavior and immortality, that's one thing, but it still, to me, seems to be about tricks um, and, uh, you know, 
the illusion of big thoughts without doing the legwork to connect the neural synapses sure. with the cortical fluid. Big thoughts over big moods. Um, I prefer big moods, but I appreciated, and I think this is a sign of a show course correcting, that the arc of Peter Mullen in the Hatch was one episode. And yes. delivered on that. Yeah, um, I, that, I, that was impressive and speaks to the fact that they are managing their story better. We, you know, the, this show is very quickly moved into um, where I think it took a couple seasons for Thrones to fully be in this zone, where there's just like every scene is like these storylines are very distinct and like separated out from one another, and you kind of have your return. Your mileage may vary depending on how you're feeling about any one performance or any one storyline at any given point. And I thought, through no fault of her own, last night was like a better episode because it didn't have Evan Rachel Wood in it. Not because I don't, <laughs> don't like disagree. Evan Rachel Wood, but because I find the Dolores character so fucking ponderous and so cyclical. And I know that that is the whole point, is that she is on these various loops and learning from one loop into the next and that she has now arrived at this place. But the staging of her scenes... I think, like, just slams the brake on the show in a way that it's hard for it to get out of its tracks when it comes back out of it. Mm -hmm. And so I, I have a lot of time for a lot of parts of the show, but I think that last night I was kind of like, oh, this feels a little bit more forward-moving now that it's, it's, we're not spending a lot of time with Dolores Wyatt. So that's my, that's my take right now. Big night of TV, but... We're really excited to share this conversation with Paul because it was a lot of fun yeah, for us. Yeah, we'll be back after a word from our sponsor with our conversation with Paul Shear. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by The Black Tux. Wedding season is upon us, and when you're bringing a date, you want to look fresh. That's where theblacktux.com comes in. It lets you rent awesome suits and tuxedos in all styles online. With the Black Tux, you can take your style to the next level in funky, cool options like Emerald Shaw tuxedos and blow it out for your next big one-time event. And with the free home try-on, you can feel the quality and see the fit months before your event. After ordering, your suit will arrive 14 days before your event. If anything is less than perfect, the Black Tux will send you a replacement right away. Wear it, turn heads, then send it back three days later. It's that easy. Shipping is free both ways. The Black Tux has dressed Andy and I for a couple of events, like our Emmys and Golden Globes after show parties. They're so easy to work with. The online experience is perfectly set for those one-time events where you're like, I don't need to go get a new suit. I just need something for tonight. It's perfect. To get $20 off your first purchase to see what we're talking about, visit theblacktux.com slash watch. That's theblacktux.com slash watch for $20 off your first purchase. The Black Tux premium rental suits and tuxedos delivered. Andy, there are some people, some families who are, as the kids say, hashtag goals. The Obamas, the Carters, the British royal family, with Kate Middleton looking stunning just hours after childbirth. Oh, unreal. But there is one family who is campaigning to win Family of the Year, an award that they created to give themselves. This sounds like the kind of family that thinks they deserve a participation award without having participated in anything. Spot on. The Family of the Year Award was created and is sponsored by the Bluth Ostero Company. The Bluth family, a wealthy family from Orange County, California, is the only family running for that title, again, that they created for themselves. Chris, what's the point of even campaigning? The Bluths want to be a household name. They want all of America to fall in love with them for reasons unknown. You can check out their campaign at VoteBluth.com and see the outcome of that campaign May 29th, only on Netflix. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by SeatGeek. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there is a simpler way to buy 
With SeatGeek, SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event, whether you're catching your favorite musician on tour, shopping for the perfect gift, or searching for a last-minute deal to see your favorite team. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. Nothing beats being there in person for the biggest plays of the year, and SeatGeek will help you get closer to the action for a great value. I have SeatGeek on my phone, and it is by far the best way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats. I actually just use SeatGeek to buy tickets for the Phillies and Dodgers on Memorial Day weekend. Oh, where's my seat? The Lord Aaron Nola comes to Los Angeles to crush L.A., SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience even easier than ever. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, our listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code WATCH today. That's promo code WATCH for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, right seat right now, right from your phone. Or the Sterling Brown part. Like which? You went for Tremblay. Yeah, oh. Tremblay, yeah, yeah. Well, just so everyone wants, yeah. is, is up, is caught up. We have a special guest today. Uh, Paul Shear is here. Paul yes. Shear has been holding court. Um, we are I'm here. Very, I'm a fan of the pod, uh, and very excited to be we're here. We're super. I mean, I can't believe we're here. we're humbled. We're excited. <laughs> we intended to spoil every show that aired last night, Mother's yes, Day, yeah. for you, but you being a good husband and father did not watch the Sunday night shows. I did not and I will watch, I will remedy that tonight. Barry uh, is yeah. a fucking robot. <laughs> what? No, they took out Barry's egg and put it in Darcy? No! Uh, no, I, uh, I, yeah, no, I was trying to be a very good husband. I sent my wife away for Mother's Day, yeah. which is a good, mm-hmm. good tip and trick, I think. Like, she went to a hotel. I took care of the kids. She came back. Oh, you didn't t- send the kids eat too? No, oh, no. The kids like, here's a with vacation me. with the kids. <laughs> you know, Mother's Day to, <laughs> Mother's Day to me is the best day to walk around your city because all you see is dads stressed out. It's like dads <laughs> alone with kids. Moms have been like, get out of the house. So a lot of wandering the streets of dads and like baby Bjorns. So, so we won't do yes. that, though. Sorry. Because I, you're a good guy. Okay. We're not yes. going to spoil. So Chris and I will talk about last night's Barry. Last night's Killing Eve, last night's Westworld, once you have exited. And then yes. I appreciate the season that. finale of Atlanta. And and last week's season finale yes. of Atlanta. Yeah. Which I'm because, also Because apparently that was on Mother's Day, too. No, <laughs> no. Look, I was talking about this before the podcast started. My wife does not watch any shows that are scripted or written. And if she does, like, it takes a while. Like, we're on Americans, and it's a slow go. So, yeah, uh, yeah I have to, like, find little holes to watch them. I basically am waiting my wife out to go to sleep, and then I'm watching stuff. Right. And, like, and trying to binge hard. It's almost like, okay, good. She's asleep. Bump. Here's at Westworld. Now I'm like cramming on Westworld. My wife now is at the point with Westworld where she doesn't even like to hear it in the other room. <laughs> oh. She she was like, she, she, like hear... she was like, can you watch Westworld elsewhere? And I was like, fine. She doesn't like to hear ghost piano covers. And then the as 90s, soon as she hears hits. Dolores speaking, she's like, can you put your headphones in? Is that uh, what I, I, all I want is a device, and I feel like they had this back in the '90s, where it was like a Bluetooth speaker that I can hear my actual TV. I don't want to have my laptop or my iPad. Yeah. I want to be able to watch. I think my they, got, TV. they got those right, like wireless headphones that can sync up to your TV. But right? It's like a big thing that yeah, you yeah, have yeah. to like connect and like an antenna. I feel like, come on, TV should just be built in. You like just that. want like '90s agent guy. 
guy with a with a Bluetooth. Yes, I just want a little <laughs> to go for Paul. All right, because <laughs> I, I work hard for my yeah. money. I don't need to be sitting crammed under sheets well, like you, watching you, an you, iPad. You like, I got a nice TV. I got a nice I, TV. I had a similar experience where The Americans is one of the few shows that my wife insists on watching with me. Yes, that's, that's something we do together. But we were out last week. We mm-hmm. missed the most recent episode, mm-hmm. and it was apparently a big one. And I wanted to share a few thoughts of it on a podcast I do with of Chris course, Ryan, who's yeah. sitting here next to you. Yeah. And uh, so I, I I watched it, thinking I would watch it again with her, and I had it on my laptop in my office, and I was watching the episode, and I was, it was a very uh, uh, intense episode. Yeah. So I was watching it closely, and she walked in on me. Oh, that's and the worst. Did you slam it shut? Mortifying. Oh, it was a hundred times worse than pornography because she was <laughs> actually offended. Oh. She was so upset with me, like I had betrayed her. And she said, I don't like it when you lie to me. <laughs> that's real. It's like no. I hadn't even had a chance to lie. Yeah, this is right. no. This is like a, this is the the gravest. Like the new. Like for people who are committed to their relationships and their wives. Yeah. Uh, cheating on your wife with a, t- a TV, TV show, show yeah. is, or your girlfriend. It's it's tough. And I and I've done it before. My my wife and I watched Battlestar Galactica, and then I just started to get the sense after two months of not watching an episode that maybe we were she, never going to yeah, go. Maybe back she was to done. It. And then I watched an episode. She caught me, and I was like. It was two months ago. Like, like you, there should be a rule. Like, I, like yes. you know, I could see like not binging behind your back, but yeah, it's. We uh, have a lot of situations where, like, in private, I'll say to my wife, like, you know, we should check this out, and she'll just be like, should we check that out? Is that something you think we should do? And I make her sound like an asshole, but she's really nice. But like, I think she's skeptical about my opinions because I'm like, True Detective is oh. really good, and she's just like. Die. You Wait, know, was that about season two? Yes, and, uh, she, and that was another show. She would walk by and be like, "Please oh, yeah. put your headphones on." Oh, if you're my wife! This. My wife came in on the final episode of Legion season season one. Yeah. It was like she watched it like for about four minutes. Like, what is this shit? And like walked out of the room angry. Like, and it was like she, that was the most psychedelic, crazy to, thing. Like he's being shrunk down into like a yeah. ship flying to, away. To be fair, and I think this is actually kind of impressive. My wife has never seen the television program Game of Thrones. Okay. However, after whether I was browbeating her or just being a little passive yeah. aggressive or whatever, last season, season six, <laughs> yeah. she decided she would watch right it in. so she could watch our after show. Yeah, I was oh. like, first of all, don't burden yourself <laughs> with this. Why uh, start so listening like, to I'm me and Chris now? Favors. Yeah. Like, that's what I said. <laughs> yeah. If I could get you to watch anything, yeah. don't let it be this. <laughs> no, it's 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 an impossible task, and and like so, I'm now trying to like. I try to like almost do my drug dealer way of like getting her into shows. I'm like, yeah, because I, I know that she would love yes. Killing Eve. Like, I love Killing Eve. And you guys were talking about Killing Eve. I found it too, and I'm so excited about it. Great. I'm like, oh, she will love this show. Watch that. And I'm like, that, just show her the opening scene. I'm like, hey, we mm-hmm. want to watch this opening scene. Like, I'm not going to tell her what it's not. I'm like, and, and I'm like, and then I just have to find the right time to kind of like hook her. Yes. But then when you hook her, there's no, like, my wife has no, like, I can't wait to watch more. She's like, that was great. Yeah, like, there's, there's more. more. There's, there's, eight, there's eight more. She's like, complete. She's back in like when it was just like I watched an episode of LA Law. Yeah, and that was exactly. It. It was like, yeah. They're very good actors <laughs> there's, on there. There's, there's kind of a meta struggle at work here because I don't know how you guys feel about this, but as someone who is still this is like a therapy in session. Recovery, <laughs> no, I mean this. As someone who's still in recovery from being a guy in the '90s who would like make a mixtape and be like, "Here are my opinions. Listen to this." Oh yeah. I now try to like hide it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So I have this threat, like with music, for example, if I say to my wife, listen to this, it good, she'll be like, oh, why do you have to tell me about music? Are you oh, still yeah. that guy? So instead what I have to do is quietly press play on the Sonos if she's walking in the room. Oh, yeah. So by the time she hears it a third time, she's like, oh, I know this, I like it. Because yeah. you can't, I don't want to You got to leave it out. You got to leave it out. It's like a, like a cat or something like that. You're like, you, yeah, like, yeah, like, you you trust me. I'm going to put the food out here. Yeah. You can That's come. The thing. You, like, you come I, at your own pace. Yeah, exactly. It's goldfish in the, in the water. I'll try and pitch my wife on shows 
and she's actually like a huge TV watcher and loves mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that I love. So I don't want to misconstrue it, but the value she places on other people's opinions over mine is like exponential. And yeah. if you catch her at a party or at a dinner party yeah. specifically, it's like, are you guys watching Howard's End? She'll be like, we're dying to watch Howard's End. <laughs> and I was like, you looked at me like you were going to stab me in the <laughs> thorax you know, like when I told you we were going to watch that. I don't know if you have this, but if, if I say something is good, my wife will often say, does Chris like it? Yes. Oh, wow. Well, my wife does the same thing for you. To be fair, this is as close as either of our wives get to the podcast. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, my wife like is a super supportive of me, but I has always like w- like watched one quarter of whatever I've done. Like she's just like, yeah, yeah, I saw it. I was like, well, you didn't see the whole thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been like it always is like. A, Does she that have like up. a randomly like favorite performance by you that you're just like, really that one? Yeah, you know, I'm trying to think of what she taught. Oh, yes. She loves a sketch that I did on Human Giant, and she will talk about that <laughs> sketch. And that was something I did, like, back in 2005. Yeah. Like, one of the first things I ever did. Which sketch? you got to tell us. Uh, yeah. it, the Let's Go sketch, <laughs> which at the time was something that was brought to us by uh, John Glazer, which is essentially based on this kid show now that I am familiar with called yeah. Wild Kratz. It's like these two guys <laughs> who are like, here we are at a science museum. Check out these dolphins. And then they run off screen. <laughs> so, like, we, so, like, our thing of Let's Go, we were all these guys in red jumpsuits are like, hey, here we are in Mexico. Let's go. And we'd run. we just name something and run away from it. And then we'd be somewhere else. And then uh, Patton Oswalt stops us uh, in the street and is like, hey, guys, like, you know, you always are saying, like, let's go. Like, you're never showing us anything. And then that spirals us out. And we start having a mental breakdown. We rip off our, our outfits and, like, one of them burns it. And then we all hold hands and we jump off a cliff and die together. Uh, that's the sketch. But that is, like, when my wife talks about something, I like that let's go sketch. I'm like, well, yeah, I did too. But that's like a good sketch. And you know, I got to say, the human giant sketch that I reference a lot, yeah. since you've opened the door to yeah, this, yeah, sure. is the, um, the, the mother who's in the, the moving company oh, that's the mother. mother. Son, yeah, mother son moving company. <laughs> <laughs> when, when a child is put into peril underneath a bookcase, the yeah. mother has superhuman strength and can lift the bookcase herself. I, and see, yeah, like, yeah. I, I think about that constantly. <laughs> Partly maybe for the same reasons, because now I have children. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> it's like, where am I going to get that super strength? I mean, and we got a lot of flack for that because, so the premise was, you know, a mother has superhuman strength when their kid is in danger. And so I fall under a bookcase and... Um, you were getting your tremble on. You were the child. I was, yeah, I was, well, uh, yeah. I was, and so and I'm under the bookcase and she's like, I can't lift it. I can't lift it. And she's like, you're not my child. And I'm like, uh, okay, what do we do? And like, adopt him. So then we go through this complicated, complicated thing of adoption. And then she goes to go lift it. And she's like, I can't do it. I just guess I don't love my adopted son as much as I love my real son. And that was the end of the sketch. We got into so yeah. much trouble. And thank God there wasn't Twitter at this point in the world. Because... And, you know, I guess now looking back on it, it as a pretty shitty thing to say, but uh, like as a, a message, but it, was a, it was comical. But we got attacked on every, wow. you know, people like, that's a terrible message. People send. sending you strongly worded emails. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> testimonials on your MySpace page. Yes. Yeah, Paul. Yeah, it yeah. Was, and it was, uh, it was coming at us hard. And, um, and I found out much later that they weren't even going to let us air that on MTV, but our showrunner, when he was dealing with standards and practices, they're like, I can't, we, this is, you can't air wow. this. You can't, because it was literally like a PSA tag that's like, you will not love your adopted children as much as you love <laughs> your real kids. And I know I'm not saying I support this. I was very young when we did that. Like, I would think twice about a lot of things we did. Like, you know, but uh, but at that point, we thought that was a funny thing because it was so ridiculous. We right. weren't saying it was a real I, I feel terrible. I picked it a scab here. Right? Is- no, no, no. It's no, it's like, so we, we were fighting this battle and she was like, you can't put that. You can't put that in our showrunner's like, I need to put that because um, 
I was adopted. And that's sometimes how I feel. And this is me like sharing how oh I God. feel. Wow. And then the, the standards of practices person said, me too. Oh no. And then they had this moment where they where they kind of like met eye to eye and my showrunner was lying. He was never adopted. He just did it to get the the thing on the air. So it was a real like uh, a wow. real yeah, a real a real whammy. That sketch is like really early co- aughts MTV <laughs> standards and practices yeah. drama. When we were following uh oh my gosh, uh, 3 6 Mafia's reality show. That was yes. that was a great lineup in MTV right. time. Didn't that win like an Emmy? No, they won an Oscar for uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, for Hustle, for and, Hustle Flow. and Flow. Okay. And then, yeah, but so their TV show won. Not. They have not okay. egot it yet. Yeah. Um, we have many other things we could discuss, but I did yes. want to, before we confess too many things about our personal lives. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, no, I was the one sharing. Yeah. There's something about you I feel very comfortable <laughs> with. Um, I did want to ask you about something. You referenced it when you sat down, that you are adapting Galaxy Quest. Yes. So this is a beloved movie. I love this it movie. Is. Yeah, me too. Um can you just tell us where, I mean, obviously you probably yeah. can't tell us everything, but, no, but what's he, the state of this? Well, you know, it was interesting hearing you guys talk last week about the idea of like reimagining these reboots and stuff like that. And I am a hundred percent on your page. Like I don't, didn't want to come at this in a way where it was just like for a quick buck or, you know, not quick buck, but, but you know, like I didn't, I came at it as like a huge fan of Galaxy Quest. As a matter of fact, when they came to me, they were like, do you want to do this? And I was like, Absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, you know, because you didn't want to ruin your remembrance of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt sketchy. Like, and but I went home and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I think my way in and what got me really excited was, oh, this is a good time to tell this story because in 1999, when Galaxy Quest came out, it was you know Star Trek conventions were very niche. You know, it's it's you know it's where I was going as a kid. I was like meeting you know uh, you know Leonard Nimoy and uh, <laughs> and Chekhov and getting autographs as a kid. I loved it. But now, and and basically my image was like 1999 is small hotels, fan gatherings. And then I go, oh, Comic-Con 2017, 2018 are thousands of fans yeah. out there. Here's where the, like, I saw the first Avengers announcement at Comic-Con when they're all on stage. Yeah. Hall H. Or whatever, Hall right? H. And I was like, and that to me, I was like, what if the TV show is opening with that? J.J. Abrams presenting his take on Galaxy Quest, yeah. essentially. Like that, that was my way in. I was like, oh, that's a... It's so different. It's not. It's not like these TV stars that are. Uh, you know, we never got our due. We're faded. These guys are rock right. stars. These are yeah. rock stars. Oh, yes. But also, sorry to give you a note yeah, on yeah, your own yeah, idea, no. but I'm realizing what a what a great take that is because in '99, everyone's like, "Thank you for being here. Thank yes. you." And now it's like, "Mark Hamill, you killed my childhood." Yeah. Fuck off. Yeah. Like right. the, the anger that we that people have now. It becomes a whole different thing. So I found that to be my way in, and a way to kind of I keep on describing it as like a. Force Awakens, Blade Runner-esque continuation, because I want the old cast to be in it. But to me, it was like, I think there's been a lot of battles. Uh, well, I know there's been a lot of battles, because like, what is this show? Um, and the show that I think some people want to do is just a straight-up continuation mm-hmm. of Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, and Sam Rockwell. But I'm like, you can't put a fish out of water twice. It's like, right. you know, it's a problem with all sequels that kind of suck. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, they're back again. It, you lose that. So it's like, how can we continue the original Galaxy Quest, tell a different story, um, and then introduce a new thing? Because the thing that I think we all love about Galaxy Quest is, it, you know, it's it's these people that are in the sci-fi world than actually being in a real, like, you know, alien, enca- you know, encounter. I mean, that, that's the fun of it. You yeah. Know? So it's been like kind of juggling how much to kind of put in and it's been really fun and, you know, I've gotten to talk to some of the people from the old cast and, and you know, we have archetypes for the new cast. I'm ex- it's really exciting for me to be able to do something that I feel like has not been done yet, which is like create a strong 
comedy show that's commenting on all the great things that I love about sci-fi. Right. I make, like, and it's not, and I don't want to make it like, yes, it is about Star Trek, but it's not, it's not so singularly about Star Trek because I think you can now say like J.J. Abrams' Star Trek and Guardians of the Galaxy and all these things are within the same world now. It's a bigger world. Like I, I don't think that Star Trek has the re- as, as much as I'm a huge fan of it, the resonance of like in a know. weird way, it almost maintained its cult presence. Like yes. it, it's like Star Trek is the one that I don't think, even though those new movies have been really successful. Yeah, I don't feel like it became this new phenomenon. Correct. Right? The way that this. Marvel and Star Wars did. And that, and to me, my whole pitch to them is I want people to feel the same way I felt when I saw Galaxy Quest, which was, which was like, I love this. I understand Star Trek. I understand this world. And now, like, I love this thing. So it's like, well, who are, like, when you're grabbing, like, an 18-year-old to 25-year-old or whatever, like, who have, that don't know the mm-hmm. first Galaxy mm-hmm. Quest. And that's, I'm, I'm trying to treat it like that. Like, if you've never heard of Galaxy Quest, like, can we get you in with tropes that you're familiar with, with uh, the commenting on sci-fi and, and hopefully creating like a really good action sci-fi comedy, which would be like the dream of dreams to be able to do all of that stuff. Not just, uh, not just sci-fi, just not comedy and, you know, kind of finding our next. coworker, Sean Fennessy and I were just, I was just talking to him about this last night. Cause we were talking, he wrote a piece today. That's about the death of counter-programming, mm-hmm. like how basically in the theaters, like everybody cleared out for almost a month for Avengers. Yeah. And how if you go back to like July 2015, there's just like, it's like train wreck and Mission Impossible and this. Yeah. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you could go to the movies three times in a weekend if you wanted to yeah. like, see something. But now everybody's just like, people are going to go see Avengers three times. Let's just wait it out. Well, and yeah. like what we were talking about was basically this idea that if you saw Dark Knight when you were 13, your formative movie-going years are all superhero movies. Yeah. Like, all the movies that you would have, like, quote-unquote, grown up with, it's 08 on is is basically the rise and mm-hmm. rise and rise of the comic book movie. Well, you guys were talking about this uh, just last week, the idea of, uh, we grew up on, like, the Predators and, like, renting these movies yeah. that mm-hmm. are, like, you know, and, they, and yeah, they had similar tones, but we were also seeing, like, more dark things and, and things that were not meant for us. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, to me, like, Die Hard wasn't a kid's movie, but it was something that I watched a billion times, oh, yeah. you know? And Lethal Weapon and Lethal Weapon 2 mm-hmm. and Beverly Hills Cop. You know, definitely more cop-centric stuff. <laughs> uh, but it but it has a different veneer than superhero stuff. Yeah. Okay, 100%. It's, it was adult movies that kids were kind of like And even the movies into. like Basic Instinct were like, I mean, like, oh, yeah, like, yeah. A friend's mom took us to see Basic Instinct. What? Like, in the theater. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I knew what it was. I don't know what we were doing. But, like, we were in a theater. It was in Florida. Yeah. Oh. That was an awkward drive home. I, I, my mom, uh, we were on a family vacation at Walt Disney World where my parents only knew to vacation. And we watched this um, Color of Night, a Bruce Willis, like, sex movie. And it was, and I remember sitting in between, like, my mom and my stepdad watching, like, the most, (laughs) I'll call it erotic. Because it wasn't even, like, it wasn't even nudity. It was, like, this movie's about sex. You know, you just feel like having sex. And it was, like, and then violence. And it was, like. I just never felt more uncomfortable. Like <laughs> that movie holds a really like dark place. I for remember me. still like my big Florida movie going experience with a parent isn't uh well it had some sexual elements. It was JFK. <laughs> and my mom took me to go wow. see JFK on opening weekend in Florida and I came out and I was like, you know how like really little kids would be like, Why is the sky blue? Yeah. I was just like why was Kevin Bacon making Tommy Lee Jones sniff those things before they painted each other gold? <laughs> and I 
I was just like, why did his head go back into the left so many times? I was like, really, like, just like I have a 10 million questions coming out of this movie. It's, so I guess the question is, what is better for kids? Would you rather them grow up the way that we grew up, seeing these things that are a little disturbing, or seeing like Wakanda and like Thanos? I, I guess the counter argument would be that this generation of kids have plenty of options for seeing grown men paint each other gold on YouTube or worse. You know what I mean? Like they have access to a lot sure. worse. Whereas we had like urban myths about like right. this happened on the news yes. once. Now you can watch what happened on the news. My you know, friend convinced me as a kid that he had a device for his TV. It was like a um, a joystick. And if you were watching a commercial where someone was taking a shower, you could yeah. push the joystick down and you would see like naked people in the shower. Like, oh, Isn't that happened in Porky's? Like, is it, is like, that a I think so, yeah. <laughs> Did, was that another thing of our childhood, which I think the, the umbrella term for our childhood would have been gullible? Where like after <laughs> oh, yeah. we saw after we saw Return of the Jedi, a friend of mine who I think maybe was a serial liar in first sure. grade told me because he was a member of like a Star Wars fan club, okay. so he got like mailing tracks and stuff like that. Well, yeah. yeah, he got like pictures and stuff, and he said, "Well, because I'm a member of the club, we get to be in the next movie." And I was like, "That's <laughs> awesome!" And he's like, "You can pick what color lightsaber you want." And I was like, "Great!" And I apparently <laughs> told my parents, like, came home from the sandbox, and I was like, "You better clear out my schedule because I'm going to Tunisia." <laughs> <laughs> and look, they didn't make we're, another we're movie after Return about of the coming on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. It was the fourth movie, which she said was going to be called uh, Re- Return of the Empire or something. Amazing. And, uh, he it. had a whole narrative, which really wasn't too far off from yeah, right. he, uh, he Force Awakens. It, out. it was, you know. So let me ask you, yes. with, with the Galaxy Quest stuff. Yeah. Is that, w- you're out there and you're probably like talking about acting roles, you're pitching yeah. stuff that you'd like to be involved with on the creative side. Would you say... I guess how to phrase this percentage-wise or what, what percentage of the stuff that you're engaged Mm. on tends to be reboot, reimagining, we've got this piece of intellectual property that we want to do something with, do you have a take on it? Well, it's interesting. I think uh, I spent this time, like I was a part of this this production company, right? They got a deal from Fox and the idea was go out and make uh, pilots. Whatever pilots you want to make, we'll fund them. And there's Mm. like 15-minute pilots. And I did like something with Michael Ian Black that was like really, really funny and uh, did something with Chris Parnell. And I did something with uh, Jerry Minor. All these like and great. We got great directors, great, great actors. We made one thing that I love that Anthony King wrote, who wrote Beetlejuice now with Harry Hamlin, like these five like really cool pilot presentations. And they all just kind of like evaporated. Mm. Like they like we couldn't sell them. We couldn't figure out why we couldn't sell them. And then. I did a pilot that went to Sundance. The first year Sundance actually had pilots like Mm -hmm. in TV Mm -hmm. shows. And that kind of just like faded away. And there was a moment where I was like, and this is like kind of where Galaxy Quest came out of. I was like, wow, I'm like doing a lot of original stuff. And a lot of it wasn't mine. I was helping shepherd writers and and, and put together projects. And I was in stuff. Mm -hmm. And and I just kept on hitting these brick walls. And I was like, oh, I wonder if maybe now I should try this. Because it seems like people are more... It's sort of like the Broadwayization yeah. of of it. It's like, oh yeah, well I know Lion King, I know yeah. Beauty and the Beast, I know Aladdin. I'll go see that. I won't see something that I don't know what it is. Unless and it's, it's about the first Treasury Secretary of America, <laughs> <laughs> then they'll go see. Uh, yeah, then I'm in. You, you got to kind of yeah. you got But you know, but that, it's those things where you feel like it's just a hard. It's a harder. I I think it's harder to sell an original idea, or and, and unless you have some cachet, or you, it's all luck, right? Mm-hmm. And so. This is my first foray into doing something that was not my own. And I will say that there are some tremendous downsides with it, too, because it is not your own. And in in the case of something that is a success, uh, you are 
constantly dealing with what everyone else's perception of why it was a success yeah. and what they want to see from it. And, you know, and part of me is always like, well, then you write. Like, you know, like, you, sure. know, like, you know, it's like it's sort of like you, you have to like at a certain point give it over and be like, well, this is someone's take on it or don't do it, mm-hmm. you know, because it's it's not going to be it's not going to check the box for five different people because everyone's like, well, no, it was successful because of this. No, it's successful because of this. So that's like it's been an interesting thing of threading that needle and trying to make everyone happy, but also make yourself happy and make something that you want to work on. Cause who, who is it? Who just adapted the book? Who, uh, you did, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're in that, you're in that zone, you know, but that's a little bit more free, I guess, because you know, it's not, people don't remember it very well. Well, yeah. And so, uh, that's like, but it's, it's tricky. It's a hard, I mean, it's definitely like, yeah, it's but, exhausting but, on a different level, but it's also given me a lot of freedom because people assume I know a little bit of what I'm doing because it exists. You know what right. I mean? There's a spine and they could just hold it up even if, if they're saying, right. who's this podcaster? Why did we let him do this? They can hold up a book and be like, but there's a thing. Yeah. So it's sort of everyone can pass the buck a little bit. And that is at an executive level, I think a lot of where that thinking comes from. I think people just want to raise, have their voice raised above the everything else that's out there. I mean, it's like, and it's hard. It is hard to find like, these shows that like kind of break through and why they break through, but the ones that do break through and now I'm like rooting against myself for a second, but is like, are the shows like killing Eve and Atlanta and this is us. Yeah. And, you know, and, and even, you know, it's like, those are the things that, cause it's new, it's exciting. And I think, you know, so to me, it's sort of like, can I try to create something that I would create normally, but I'm used, I'm also well, using this name to help that. Well, I think the model for that would be Noah Hawley, who, yes. whose two major successes our existing IP, but very specific and needed a very delicate touch. And I don't think when people watch Legion, they think, oh, well, this is a Marvel comic book. Yes. They he does a great job of like kind of it, stepping aside. Yeah. It's his thing. This is know, a perfect but, time for me to announce I have a radical reimagining of the Getty kidnapping that I think. <laughs> you know, another one, guy. Another one. <laughs> this third time's the charm. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the oddest thing ever. Like, that is like back in the day, talking about back growing up, it was like Volcano and San Andreas. And now we have like, lace, yeah. you, like you can look back and like, Armageddon that was Deep like, Impact. Yeah, right. Like, I wanted to meet the guy who had the third Leonard Bernstein script. Yeah. It's just like, no, no, <laughs> it was my moment. Um, I did want to ask Paul because Chris brought it up with Galaxy Quest. As a, and I'm so excited to say this out loud, multi-hyphenate. Uh. <laughs> how do you approach your career? Because what seems from the outside to be very yeah. exciting because you have your podcasts and we should mention Unspooled. Oh, yeah, yeah, podcast sure, sure, you're yeah. making. Um, you are in the Showtime pilot. Uh, with Ball, oh, yeah, Ball Street. Ball yeah, Street. Yeah. Um, you're, ma- you're doing Galaxy Quest. I just saw you in Feudal and Stupid Gesture over yeah, the weekend. Yeah, yeah. You're showing up in movies, yeah. Disaster Artist. How do you consider the breadth of your career and how do you prioritize things because you have things moving at all times in different spaces? I, th- I think to me, a lot of the times, I think in, you know, you know, in writing, it's like there's a lot of like hurry up and wait. And it's mm-hmm. like you hand in something and then people wait six weeks to give you notes on it. And you're like, oh, OK, I thought we were like we really had to yeah. go. Yeah, I think where I've been very lucky is I haven't been like uh, tied down to anything. Even when I was doing the league, I was able to make my adult swim show and I did that for like mm-hmm. three years. And it's like. I just like to be free and as much as like, so when the way that money kind of comes up in these things, I don't negotiate hard for money. I negotiate hard for freedom. So I can kind of be like, oh, well, great. I want to go like I just did this movie with like Chance the Rapper for A24, which is like. Oh, the horror movie? Yeah, the horror movie, which is like, uh, which I'm excited, uh, super excited about. Like, but it's like, 
I want to have the ability to be like, no, I can go out and do that. You can't stop me from doing that. Yeah. As long as I show up for when you need me, like, and that, and I think that was also coming out of doing seven years on a TV show mm -hmm. and feeling very confined. But even on that TV show, I worked in like some clause that allowed me to go. Like, I mean, the, the trickiest thing I ever did was I couldn't create a half hour show while I was working for the league, but I could create a 15 minute show. So right. that's how, like, you know, so there was like a little like loophole there. By the way, we have got now half the cast of the league on this podcast. I, know. I think oh we, have, we have three more to go. So, all right. There you go. Look, look out. <laughs> look out. <laughs> that's why we started the podcast six years ago. Yeah, to collect them all. The when I get slowest. them all, it's like that's when I pitch my league revival, yes. uh, my reboot. Yeah. Uh, the I, gritty I, reboot. <laughs> well, I keep on saying that they should just remake the league with. Another group of people. Like, yeah. It's like, it, you know, our show, uh, super fun and great cast, also super white, like aggressively white. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and I think there's a way to kind of like tell those stories, like continue <laughs> to tell those stories, like do it with a group of women, do it with a group of people that are not white, do it with anything. Like, you can... Because the stories are there. Is, is, that, is that what Mark Duplass has on his business card? <laughs> Writer, director, aggressively <laughs> white. <laughs> um, you know, so I don't know. Like to answer that question, like about... Uh, Mark Duplass's business card. Is, uh, yeah, yeah. You know. Tell me more about it. Is it a heavy uh, card stock? It, it, it's, a, it's like a it's, it's Patrick Bateman level card stock. Wow. It's nice. And, you know, people don't give out cards anymore. No, it's classy. Um, so Ed Begley Jr. gave my wife, like, a business card after they had worked together in a very polite way. I was like, oh, I don't see people carrying around business oh. cards anymore. Yeah. It's that Begley touch. I love it. It's a nice It's a nice touch. Do you think um, he learned that from Ed Begley Sr.? <laughs> <laughs> was he a very... Oh. Man, can I tell you the worst uh, moment I've ever had with a celebrity? So it was, <laughs> this is the place for it. Uh, so it was, I, I, my wife, we've established, uh, is not into any of this stuff. Like, she loved Wonder Woman. She loved Black Panther. But is probably, I think she only saw Iron Man 2. Like, you know, like, like that. Like, <laughs> wow. Because she's a like Mickey Rourke completist. <laughs> she's got to see it all. <laughs> um, so so I, we're, we're at Comic-Con, and I had a wristband because I... Did I was doing something for Lost that year, and I had like a, a Hall H band, and mm -hmm. that Hall H band gives you access. Like you basically just go anywhere, and it was for the Iron Man two Hall H panel, and I was like, Jim, we'll go, we'll go like backstage, and I'm more excited about it than that. Yeah. I'm like, this is Mickey Rourke's here, you know, Tony Stark. <laughs> I was like, this is gonna be great, and um, and I had a, had a margarita at lunch, and so I was a little there bit more loose, okay. yeah, and. Um, so I have, I'm, we're walking back, and we're clearly not supposed to be there. It was yeah. like all Marvel executives, like the entire cast of Iron Man <laughs> 2, and then like my wife and I. And we're just like kind of like eating cookies, trying to like look casual. Now, I have a little bit of like a connection with Robert Downey Jr. because this guy I did a movie with, he was like, oh, yeah, Robert Downey and I, we're like best friends. We're best buddies. <laughs> like your friend who yeah. had the Star Wars uh, yes. pick your own lightsaber. Right. I, all I'd hear is like, oh, we're on the set. Oh, yeah, oh. I was on this. He's telling me every day. I'm like, oh, yeah. He's like, oh, I was like, how's your weekend? He's like, we was watching Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, I went over to Robert's house. We're just watching the edit. So it looks great. I'm like, okay, great. So we're walking, <laughs> so we're walking to the elevator, right? Going down to this Hall H panel. And, and we get close. And my wife has already been in Zodiac with Robert Downey Jr. Yes, she was, right. Right, so she's been it. Like, she has more of a connection to Robert Downey Jr. than I do. And I get, like, almost, like, with, like, half an arm's reach with him. I'm like, yeah, fuck it. I'm going to say hi. I'm going to say hi yeah. to him. I'm like, hey, man. Uh, I'm like, uh, I'm friends with uh, this guy, Josh. I said his last name. I won't say it here. I'm like, friends with Josh. And he turned around and he looked at me like I was speaking like an alien <laughs> language. Like, and 
And at that moment, like, you know, when something has gone bad, like every sweat oh, pour, no. like, I'm like, oh, and then like his, they didn't never notice that he had two gigantic security guards. <laughs> really big guys. They're like, they, yeah. their, their necks were like the size of my thigh, you know, and like they turned and I could feel them looking at me. And now I'm like, cause I've, I was, I, I said, like, I said to him too, I was like, Hey, uh, I was like, I think I said like, Hey, Robert, I wasn't like, wow. Hey, Mr. Downey or yeah. hey. I was like, Hey, Robert, turn around. I'm like, I'm friends with Josh. And, uh, he looked at me. I didn't know what to do. I'm like real nervous. He, he's like, I, I don't know who that is. And I go, oh, I, I must have had you confused um, with Robert Downey Sr. <laughs> and, and then I, and I, and, and we, were, we were stuck at an elevator bank and there was no. nowhere to go. We could what hold What was his over. reaction to that? Nothing. Because I, I think I don't, I think I blacked out. I was seeing white and I just walked backwards into a crowd, like faded away. My wife had let like go Homer of my Simpson hand. Into the yeah, bush. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's exactly like that. And there's the I like, I was like, I was like, I had you confused. Oh my God. Wow. I totally now want to sign up to go to the next Robert Downey Uh, Jr. junket and just be like, oh, uh, I was watching fantasy. I was watching football uh, with you last weekend. Oh, wait. But Chris, you've interviewed Robert Downey Jr. You you were given like six and a half minutes. Where it was just kind of like, it's partially because like, He's at once, like, the coolest guy ever. Yes. And then the least cool guy ever. Because he still has, like, when I interviewed him, he had, like, Tony Stark facial hair. Yes. So it was, like, really weirdly, like, that's not cool. Sculpted, like, it's yeah. like yeah. That was cool in 96. And, like, weird sneakers that were, like, kind of Marty McFly mm-hmm. Nikes. But well, also... You're, you're starting to realize that, like, Tony Stark that we see now in the films, like, The Homecoming and, and uh, mm-hmm. Infinity War, like, yeah. that's always... Uh, Robert Downey Jr. dresses yes, like, where he's like, just like I have a cool suit. windbreaker yeah. I'm just, yeah. just wearing all the time just athleisure yeah. it does yeah. not matter he's I think he's like one of like the five best actors I've ever oh, seen 100%. but I was just like blacking out when I saw him and then I tried opening kind of similar to you where I'm just like I'm going to tell him a crazy anecdote, and he's just going to yeah. be like, why don't you and I go hang out? You know? Yeah, right, exactly. And We're going to so be I the was, best friends of all I time. I just basically was like, I heard you had Steely Dan play your 40th birthday party and I thought he was going to be like, I did. I love Steely Dan. I was going to be like, I love Steely Dan. Let's talk about that. And he was just like, how did you hear that? <laughs> oh, no. oh. And I was just like, it was in a, uh, and you know, like it's, it was in Rolling Stone. But I was just like, <laughs> right. uh, uh, it was on uh, the dark oh, web, no. uh, Silk Road. They had pictures. <sighs> no, I was just like, yeah, it was in Rolling Stone. And he was like, oh, I wasn't aware that that happened. And then he just started talking about neighbor jackets and like exper- oh, psychedelic oh. experiences. Right, he, pulled out of it. Yeah. he got into it. But like every, I also asked like an 11 part question about Zodiac. Oh, wow. That he was just yeah. like, you definitely have thought more about Zodiac <laughs> than I ever did. Because <laughs> I was like, that's your best movie. And he was like, shit, that was 10 years ago. Yeah, do you, Paul, do you have an opinion? Does your household have an opinion about Zodiac? Because you may know we are big Zodiac. Yes, I do. Podcast on it. And yet you, every day you get to go home to someone who was in that in movie. In Zodiac. You know, it's interesting because I think, um, you know, I may be talking out of school. I think that working with Fincher and my wife had an amazing experience with him is a, it's a, it's a challenging thing. Right. You know, I think it was, you know, my wife had this very big scene and it was, um, a, it was like a big scene for her to kind of do and felt so like relieved. Like I did it mm-hmm. like me. I had a great time. And then, um, but you know, and you're still in that world doing like a bazillion takes. I mean, mm-hmm. like when he likes you, you're still doing like, you know, yeah. 55 takes. Um, and, uh, and then she was like, ah, the movie's behind me. Great. And then it was like a call. Like, Hey, we're doing reshoots. We're going to have to get that scene again because there was a sound issue. Like there was like a thing. Oh, like, oh, man. Like, wow. so, so I think there's like, you know, there's stress. So I feel like, you know, it's always like, you're always critical of your own thing. So 
it's interesting. I felt so like uh, in it with her throughout yeah. that thing. I love Zodiac. I think it's a great movie. And I think it's actually become better with age, almost like oh, Kubrick yeah. films. It's like they, I think when it came out, I don't think people were like, Zodiac, Zodiac. I think it was like, yeah, Zodiac's good. It's just yeah. I anticipated so much stuff about like our obsession with crime that's sort of taken place afterwards. So if we ran into June, yeah. what's our best bet? Should we say, um, hey, we heard we, we loved you in Zodiac, or should we say, we know Paul? Like, which one is going to cause her to open up and which I one think, is going to uh, cause her I, to— I would say uh, knowing me would close her down. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then— So yeah, go and— yeah, Go, yeah. Guy. And Matt, by the way, I'm sure she would love to talk about it. I just think it's like, it's tricky. Like, you know, every movie—and I'd say it's for me, too. It's like everything, like, you're looking at it— through different lens sure. once you're there. I think it's so much fun to watch a movie that you're not involved in. Yeah. You know, it's like, because then it's like, I don't know anything about uh, any of this stuff. So you can sit back and relax. I think experience. also probably to to truly either like enjoy or engage with a David Finn. And I'd say this as someone who has listened to every DVD director's commentary. Oh, yeah. So I don't know if you ever, like, it seems like the only two people who have come out of Fincher experiences and just been like, I knocked that out of the park. And yeah. like, that was really fun. <laughs> were Affleck and Gone Girl. And Downey, Downey, who was like, I was pissing in jars and leaving them around the set just to torture him, uh, to show him that, like, this is what you get for not letting well, us leave the set for 19 hours. Although Groff, too. We yeah, and, Groff and Groff on, really liked it. My yeah. and he was like, that was great. Yeah. I, 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 this is the way I kind of understand him to be. Um, he is, like, a very tough, uh, you know, football coach, uh, kind of like your Friday Night Lights, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Coach Taylor, uh, who expects you to come with your A game. And as long as you come with your A game— it's going to be tough practices. You're going to be yeah. you're going to be working hard, but he's going to be like, "Great, thumbs up." It's when you don't come to play. Right. And I think that I think that's an interesting thing. Like the the one story I always heard about uh, Robert Downey Jr. on Zodiac, and this is not through June. This is through uh, another source, and I think I can tell because it's not a it's not too bad. Is it Jake Gyllenhaal? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Uh, Jake told me. Um, there's a scene where, like, Robert Downey Jr. is coming down a flight of stairs outside. It's raining and getting into a car and had done it, like, 50, 60 times <laughs> and was like, hey, have we gotten it yet? And he's like, no, I'll tell you when we're close. And I was like, <laughs> and it, was a, it was a wordless scene of just walking down yeah. and getting in a car. So I'm like, when you hear that, when you go, like, walking down a flight of stairs and getting into a car yeah. on a rainy thing and yeah. doing 60 takes of it, you just understand, like, okay, that's on a wordless scene. Yeah. So... Have at it. Yeah. That's where we're you know, And at. I think, you know, and I think that in that respect, it's your, it's like boot, it, it, like, and everyone's like, actors are like, oh, it's like boot camp, you know, boot camp. But it's like, but I think it is the hardest you'll probably ever work. Well, it's like that whole thing is he's, he's apparently trying to get you to like shed artifice. And it's yeah. like the only way he thinks you can do it is if you just like walk into the room 60 times. And yeah. on, the, on the 63rd time. But then I think I've also heard stories where he's like, that's great. Print 22. Like print yeah. the 22nd take. And they're just like. We just did fifty three more takes of me like looking at my watch, man. Like, but it, I, you know, I think yeah, it's an interesting thing. Like, I just did this. Um, I'm in Future Man, and Future Man is a Hulu show. Then, mm -hmm. and we're doing season two. And then the first, uh, the first thing I was doing was like a seven page scene, and I hadn't done a seven page scene. I can't, I can't even tell you like everything that you like, that I'm normally used to doing is like a three page is probably the max, you know, whatever. But like, to go from start to finish. Was a, uh, a challenge, and we did that from like six in the morning to six at night, twelve hours of just yeah. doing the same dialogue. And I will say that like there is something oddly like loopy. You're just sort of like, I'm just I don't even know what I don't even know what I'm thinking anymore. I'm just doing it. And there is I think there is like a there's a method to that. Like you know sure. I think Kubrick did that to like uh, Jack Nicholson on The Shining too. It's like you're just sort of like 
All right, now I'm just my I'm uh, my uh, my brain is fully not functioning. Yeah. There's that like famous story of like uh, Harvey Keitel quitting Eyes Wide Shut, and oh, Sidney yeah. Pollack took over that role because he was just like Kubrick was having him do. 74 takes of touching a doorknob and he yeah. was just like you you gotta be fucking kidding me and just like what gary oldman actually t- tells that story wow. yeah on the other podcast you do that's great i'm really glad uh, i had to find out this way me and gary oldman and joe rogan talking uh, mma yeah. wow it's, you're, it's all called, you're all in hyperbolic uh meditation <laughs> dance, man right? to man. Yeah. <laughs> um before we let you go paul you yes. should talk about your oh yeah because First of all, we have, we have a podcast bromance going on. Yes. We have your, we, your other co-host, Jason, is on our show often. I love when Jason's we on here. We love having him here. We, we're so I, glad that you're here to I'm make so, him feel bad. I'm so excited to be here. I, I felt like you guys maybe didn't like I thought there was maybe a beef, and now I'm excited to be here. You guys have to come on. How did this get made now? I'd love to. Um, love to. We, you know what? Uh, you know, I would love to have you both on. And that sometimes when June's not there, it would be because I feel like that's been <laughs> because always. Because it's <laughs> that June does not want to talk to yeah. us. <laughs> that's been the subtext yeah. of this. Well, you know what it is? is like for us, always like I like getting people who have a camaraderie and then to come on the show sure. because it's sort of like it's fun because you know it's it's we always are trying different things like if whether or not it's like the Doughboys is another podcast like it just because it's like you guys have a thing we'll have a thing and yeah. then hopefully it will kind yeah. of mix together so that would be fun we'd love to have you on and figure out a good a good movie um, but this movie this podcast that I'm doing is with uh, Amy Nicholson mm-hmm. who hosts the canon she's yeah, a great film great writer. writer so I don't know if you guys had this experience either uh, I'm giving you the hard sell on it but it was um I saw this poster for the AFI's like top 100 mm-hmm. movies. I was like, oh yeah, I've seen these movies. And I started like looking at it. I was like, oh, I haven't. Yeah. But I've seen a ton of movies. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, but I haven't seen like on the waterfront. And when I saw Taxi Driver, I saw it once. And, mm-hmm. you know, and Citizen Kane, like, yeah, yeah, I, I think I saw that, you know. And it's and I was like, oh, for somebody who I feel like, it, for me, like, I'm up in pop culture, but I have never seen a, you know, uh, Ginger Rogers Fred Astaire musical. Yeah. Like, and I was like, oh, wouldn't it be fun to, like, watch this list? And now because everyone has a podcast, it's like, oh, that may be a, a fun way to do a podcast. I said, but I don't want to do it just the way that I do How Did This Get Made, where we're just like, because there's nothing to make fun of. I was like, maybe there's a way to, like, intelligently talk about these movies. So I partnered up with Amy, and she's, like, encyclopedic uh, knowledge of film. And mm-hmm. so it becomes, like, this kind of, like, it's a fun, loose film discussion class. But it's, like, great to kind of dive in and, like, talk about the French connection, which is, like, a movie that I think I saw once, but I didn't remember anything, but that like really set the tone and format of every buddy cop movie mm-hmm. I think made sense. Oh, for like, sure. And yeah. I was like, oh, wow. So it's a great way to just kind of go back and and watch something in a way that you can kind of ask questions, do some research, find out what's actually going on. It's sort of, I, I always felt like high school or college is better served when you get older. It's like, I would like to read Catch yeah. and Rye now because I think I would understand it or it's not like, oh, I got to read Catch and Rye. I got to read this chapter. It's like, I want to watch this thing. I want to watch a musical. I want to, you know, there's no pressure and, on it. And we're using our entire cultural apparatus is is built up to a point now where we only cover new things, but we cover yeah. the new things to de- We rip them apart and we dissect them and we analyze every single piece of them. Yeah. They might not be yeah, deserving even, of it. Now we can actually have like perspective those... to look at things with these critical mindset we have now. Yeah. With those lists and stuff. I mean, even when you have like a best of list, like you can kind of, I, I, I love the idea of doing these like kind of like outside of the, the noise looking at these movies because of the, you can so easily just be like Wikipedia and it sounds right. like this was really good and like, oh, is that a good essay I should read? I'm going to put that in to save for later. And then you're like on to the next exactly. thing. Exactly. I mean, I just deleted uh, my my like reading app on my phone because I'm like, I've saved for later so many yeah. things that I never get yeah. to. And it's like, it gives me anxiety. Like, Will Trump win? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, Nate Silver, <laughs> you know, it's going. You but, rascal. <laughs> but like, I do feel like, yeah, like being able to actually just like 
watch them and and like and also kind of we've but we've been finding out we've recorded a couple episodes ahead of time is the one that's on the list is not always the best one like you know mm. like going yeah. to like the um, Ginger Roger Fred Astaire movie it's like okay that one that we that's on the list is called Swing Time um, it has a very problematic black fake sequence which we do talk about and and kind of dissect a little mm-hmm. bit too but we found out like, oh, that one was just put into the Library of Congress. So then that was automatically like, that's the good one. Yeah. So that one goes here. But meanwhile, The Gay Divorcee is a better movie, mm-hmm. hands down, but because it doesn't have like, oh, it wasn't in the Library of Congress. So like, we're also and, like- And very forward looking with The Divorcee being gay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that yeah, Fred finally, was- yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, right out of the gate. Huh. Um, but like, I think like that's interesting too, is like what, like, what we hold to be- the best doesn't always have to be the best. And so we're trying to like tackle that as well. It's like Ben Hur's on that list. I don't think Ben Hur belongs on that list. I think Ben Hur is interesting. I think the chariot scene is like there should almost be a list of like the hundred best f- sequences mm, in sure. or like, influential. Yeah. 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 I'd be curious to talk to you maybe once you're done the like run again, yeah. because one of the things I always find, and it's almost it's what I actually think of when people say like movie magic, which is usually attributed to like, oh, and then the lights go off and this happens. But there's, why is Sunset Boulevard still so fucking good? Like yeah. how is the Maltese Falcon still? Or, or singing in the rain. Yeah. yeah. And these are just people with, you know, they made it in a completely different way than they make movies now. Times are completely different. The context is completely mm-hmm. different. And you still, you hit play and you're just like, oh my God, what? this could be on tomorrow. Well, you know? that that's how I felt about watching Wizard of Oz. Because I've never watched it again critically. Yeah, right. We're going to talk about right. it. I was like, this is great. I mean, no, no doubt. It's a great movie, but it's like, it's a great movie that it can. And that's why kids are watching it now. I felt the same way about Citizen King in a weird mm-hmm. way. Citizen King right now felt way more like of the now. Oh I was yeah. Like, Whoa. It, it, it's yeah. I don't know what that is. And I don't know if it's like, I'm going back to what we were talking about before these original ideas that are capturing themes that are forever universal. You know, it's, it's not like, I don't, you know, like, Citizen Kane is speaking to power and the corruption of power and the want to be liked. And, you know, and Wizard of Oz is talking about this idea of like wanting to escape and what the fantasy is like, you know, these general themes. It's interesting to think about the idea of a canon in film, which for some reason we still think of as a relatively modern medium, even though now we have almost 100 years of history. When you look at like 19th century, a lot of books got published. Yeah. We read collectively in the canon like 12 of them. Yeah. I'm sure there are many lost masterpieces and there are things that were forgotten unjustly and would be relevant today. But things that are universal tend to survive. And, and, and now we're like, I think that, that there's a little a bit way. of a difference now, and especially right now, in the way that we talk about stuff. Because even when you bring up Wizard of Oz and you're like, okay, what are the themes of Wizard of Oz? Or yeah. what are the, th- what do you think of when you think of Wizard of Oz? You think of like, there's no place like home, or you think of these ideas of escape and return or whatever. If the Wizard of Oz came out today, would we be like, what's the true story of the wizard? And when right. we, and like, are, is like the expanded Kansas universe? And like, well, we did get that movie. But we talked about yeah. <laughs> great and <laughs> Yes, right. That's true. I guess you're right. I mean, I guess I think that we foreground a lot of the MacGuffins that those right. movies maybe were like, nobody gives a shit about the Falcon. Mm-hmm. It's about the interaction between the two people, you know? Well, I think it's like we are looking at things too critically and in a, in a way that I think what I love and what I love about this podcast and what I love about uh, what we're doing over there too is like it, things are meant to be discussed, right? Like I yeah. think I really found myself enjoying Westworld uh, after I was able to discuss it with people. What I loved about Lost was the mm-hmm. conversation in the in-between time. And that's what I really like. And I think there's a, a judgment a lot of times to be like, watch it, don't watch it. You know, it's like, but not like discuss it. Because some things are better with a discussion sure. than they are just isolated alone, you know. Um, 
you know, so I, it's interesting. And we talk about like this idea, like the memification of culture too. Yeah. Things just get broken down. So, you know, like you're talking to me, mm-hmm. but you don't know the movie that exists outside of that. Like my wife has never seen a Star Wars movie besides Force Awakens. <laughs> wow. um, yeah. She watched the first 15 minutes of Star Wars and kind of liked it. Um, a New Hope. Uh, she, she knows like, Luke, I'm your father. So from moment one, she understands this yes. part of culture, but not. It's like, that's almost unfair in a way. Like, you know, I knew where the drugs were hidden in French Connection, and I don't know why. Right. Like, I was in the game movies, it was in the car. And I'm like, oh, but but why why don't I know that? I don't don't even remember watching French Connection, but I just knew, like, it's like these things that seep in, and it's like, I don't know. Can the movie stand stand the test of time with that knowledge? Right. Because a movie built just around a MacGuffin— Right, it's is not a worthwhile movie. Well, yeah, it's a it's a tricky thing. I think the best movies, I don't know. It's yeah, this is my issue a lot of the times with um, the culture of like trying to unpack too much stuff. Like Westworld is a great example. Like I was talking about, I did this panel with the whole cast um, just when they did the season two premiere, and I was like, "Are you like?" So I said to Jonah Nolan and, and Lisa, I was like, "Are you guys just like done with people going like, is it on Mars?" Because like they have not like linked that. In. That's not something that anything sure. that the show is forwarding. But people are online are spending hours. And it's like you're dissecting the wrong thing. Like there's so much more here right. that we can get into, but we spend like so much more time. Like it's almost like we're trying to create a bigger thing to talk about because it's more uh, catchy or mm-hmm. something where it's like, I oh, know we're talking about like technology and people and what is human interact. You know, it's like, I don't know, but it's easier to be like, but is it Mars? Yeah, you right. know, and it's and it and I think that that dilutes actually what we're watching. Cause then you at the end you go like, oh I'm kind of bummed out. And that's like the reason why I love Atlanta so much. Cause Atlanta like is doing these like you have to talk about it. like after Teddy Perkins is like, I need to like talk about Teddy Perkins for two hours. Yeah. Now, because I want to understand. I want to read articles. They want to like because I feel like I'm on Mars, which is why <laughs> yeah. I think it's a better show. <laughs> yeah, because it is. It's like it's it's not giving you a clear black and white answer. I don't know. Like I think that that's and that's part of the fun of these things. Yeah, Paul, thank you so much for joining thank us. You. Today. Oh, I should by the way say the name of the podcast. Yeah, unspooled. Right? <laughs> yeah. Unspooled. Yeah. unspooled. When yeah. can people listen to it? Uh, you when? can listen to it right now. Wherever you're listening right now, the, the trailer is up, and there'll be more episodes. So up, subscribe so. where you get yeah. your podcast. Yeah. So yeah, right. wherever you listen, to podcasts. we'll have to have you back very shortly. I would love to. Please, anytime, and uh, we promise not to talk to your wife. <laughs> now for the story of a wealthy family who once lost everything, but had no choice but to stick together. A lot has changed over the years, but they're still the same dysfunctional bluths. Follow their new beginning as they try to convince the country that they're worthy of the OC's Family of the Year Award, paid for by the Bluth Austero Company. It's Arrested Development Season 5, only on Netflix, May 29th. Today's episode of The Watch was also brought to you by Philo. Say goodbye to expensive TV bills. Philo is the simple, powerful app for watching TV. Get access to more than 35 of your favorite entertainment channels like Investigation Discovery, AMC, A&E, OWN, BT, Discovery, and more, as well as live TV on demand and unlimited recording, all for only $16 a month, no contract needed. There's never been a better deal. Start your free trial instantly with just a phone number. No credit card needed. Visit gofilo.com slash the watch. That's go.filo, P-H-I-L-O dot com slash the watch or text the word the watch to... Seven four four five six.